So welcome everyone to our 10th session of the McMaster Collaboratorium Series, a cross-disciplinary initiative between the Director's College, the Executive MBA in Digital Transformation, and the Health Leadership Academy at McMaster. Uh, I'm your webinar host, Professor Michael Hartman. Our webinar series examines how leadership, governance, and innovation, best practices and principles are evolving in real time. And what this means for boards, senior executives, and our emerging leaders. For my returnees, uh, you know that each session is uh, an informal conversation with my guest speakers, where I'll ask them to reflect on three simple yet complex questions. First, to comment on what they've come to recognize as best practices and principles in their areas of expertise. Second, to share their insights on how board directors and executives are trying to apply these practices and principles in our current environment in real time. What are people and organizations giving more priority to, uh, less priority to? What are the changing needs and what are the workarounds as well? And then finally, to share with us their thoughts on what might be the new set of best practices and principles to emerge when we finally return to the new normal. Now, to kick things off, uh, for those of you who do not know my colleague, uh, Chris Chen, He's the Managing Director of Compensation Governance Partners uh, based in Toronto. Chris advises clients in supporting stakeholder value through effectively aligning organizational strategy to executive pay. Uh, prior to CGP, Chris was the National Executive Compensation Practice Leader for a uh, multinational human resource resources consulting company. And as a lawyer, and I didn't know you were a lawyer, Chris, uh, so... Uh, Huh. I tend not to bring that up in polite conversation. All right, Chris. Um, <laughs> as a lawyer and in-house advisor, he provides deep technical and industry expertise to his clients in all aspects of executive comp and governance. Our second guest uh, joining us from the West Coast in Vancouver is Rachel O'Connor. So hello, Rachel. And, and Rachel leads uh, Watson's leadership and performance practice which focuses on the board's oversight responsibilities with respect to people-related issues that are essential to effective governance uh, um, and organizational performance, as we know. Uh, she supports boards on a range of leadership and performance issues, including oversight of the CEO, uh, onboarding, evaluation, succession, and oversight of people and culture. Um, prior to joining Watson, Rachel worked for 10 years as a senior client partner at Hay Group and Corn Ferry. So now, Chris, um, borrowing from your director's college appearances, and my alum may remember you from your appearances on the Hollister uh, board as our uh, external expert on comps. So uh, hopefully those are good memories, Chris. <laughs> Um, what should uh, be the role of the board in exercising due diligence over director and exec comp? And what would be considered best practice in these areas? Mm -hmm. And what's different now in the current environment? What are you seeing out there in terms of early trends and practices? That's a mouthful, Chris, but uh, uh, I know that you're well prepared for the, the question. So Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to everyone again. I assume that I have met many of the people who are on the call, your Directors College alumni. I also want to express my delight at presenting again with Rachel O'Connor. Though I do not mention in my uh, background where I'm from, I'm ex Hay Group and Corn Ferry as well. And Rachel is one of my partners back in the day at the previous organization. So I'll jump right into it and with a, a bit of a plug. So I'm going to rely on some data which we've collected in a COVID pulse survey 
Um, and if you want to participate in that survey, we've held it open for members of the Directors College until tomorrow. Um, and it's on our website um, under events. Uh, it's 11 questions, pretty quick to answer. We've got about 100 responses now. And I think, Michael, in terms of addressing your question of what we're seeing, maybe I'll start off with what I perceive to be the, um, the world before COVID. So compensation, executive compensation, for the last decade, pretty regular. Not much has come at it, so to speak. You have your compensation committee. You have a cycle that you want to go through in terms of thinking about your compensation. Typically, the fall season is when you begin to think about how much. You think about how in terms of the pay. You fine-tune your mechanisms for your designs. You move into January and February, and then off you go in terms of setting yourself for the year. So what's different now is what happened to the world in March. So much like every other organization, we at CGP, we set our objectives for the year, January, February, then came COVID in March. If you think about the previous recessions that we've had a chance to experience, they typically have happened in the fall after Labor Day. So when we look back at 2008, 2009, we take a look back at the numbers then, we saw almost a one percentage point difference between the salary increases in 2008 and 2009. People had a chance to re-gear, recalibrate. We saw that organizations froze salaries in one third of the cases back in 08 to 09. So, so that was then. So, so what's happening now? When we take a look at the uh, survey results we have right now, they are preliminary. We'll finalize after we close the survey tomorrow. When we take a look at some of the, the hot topics in terms of risk, in terms of what, what organizations are looking at, we ask the same question or a few of the same questions we did previously in the annual survey we do with the corporate secretaries. And the number one issue now is financial risk, no surprise. That was number four. People risk is the fastest mover. Annually, that risk has been around number eight in the list of 13. That's now up to number three. And you have operations still being at number two, very important to the organizations, and strategy meanders in around five and four. So we're seeing now that financial risk and people is front of mind for board members, is front of mind for organizations in terms of potential risk, and totally understandable in the middle of a pandemic. I'll move to the second slide that I'll draw from, and I apologize for not putting those up. So we asked the, um, we asked the organizations, so are your board, is your board taking a look at or monitoring the impact on your financials of COVID? The answer overwhelmingly was yes. So 72% yes, 26% said, yep, we'll do it soon. So 98% of the organizations are actively monitoring the financial impact of COVID. When we asked the question to the compensation committee, which was, you know, as, are, have you as a compensation committee begun to assess and react to what's happening from a comp perspective with COVID? The answer was 40% said yes. The remainder pretty much said no. So I think what we're seeing is, is what will become a trickle down effect between what the board is looking at from financial operational risk perspective to eventually what we're going to see when I predict further into the year after Q2, when numbers begin to get finalized, you're going to see committees begin to think through. So what do we do with all those numbers from January and February? Now that we are well into the year and potentially the numbers may not be as aligned as they should have been beforehand when we had the, you know, the benefit of what we thought was gonna be a stable year. So that's the first thing in terms of what we think we'll be seeing coming forward. Now, in terms of the, I call it the side swipe, we've seen that. And the result of the side swipe has been, and you've seen it all in the papers, you know, we almost think about organizations in three buckets. So, you know, there are companies that are pretty hard hit right now. If you think about organizations in travel, leisure, hospitality, we've read of the mass layoffs, we've um, read of management teams taking significant pay cuts, like space salary cuts, like up to 50% in some cases. 
So that's a company where things aren't going so well. Now there's another side of the corn, some of our clients, some of the people that we know, work for organizations where things are going pretty well. If you think about essential services, like medical supplies, um, grocery stores, like if you're making tissue paper right now, you're probably doing pretty well. You're probably not hurting, right? So you've got good profits, good revenues, but the question then becomes, what are the optics on that? What are the optics on you know, a significant base salary increase, a significant uptick in compensation? Knowing that some of your frontline workers may actually be in the line of fire, so to speak, for the pandemic and for COVID itself. So there's an optic and a public perception issue there, even if you're doing extremely well. And then we have the middle, those organizations that aren't hard hit, but aren't doing extremely well, but are trying to make it through this one 18 month, two year period. So you have investors, you've got stakeholders, you've got funding coming in from various sources, whether it's government, whether it's members. The optics may not be so good if your investors have seen a decrease in the value of their investment, or your funders will eventually see a decrease in what they're bringing in. So even a crown corporation, even a government, I would expect we're gonna see lower tax revenue over the next little bit as businesses no longer pay what they should be paying or they're delaying and also personal taxes. So watch out for that in terms of an impact as well. And you know, before I, I stop and I, I segue over, you know, one of the things I would say is that in terms of practices, in terms of what's going on, any tweaks or changes that potentially will be made to executive compensation should always be under the lens of, of being holistic. Everything's interconnected. You've heard me say this at Director's College, base, bonus, LTI, even the benefits component. Hmm. Try not to change one without looking at least at the other because everything feeds off of base salary. So that Chris, would be my, can my can opening Can I ask comment. you a quick question sure. on that? Yeah. And, and I did put, I know that uh, we said no slides because slides, you know, as we try and be concise and, and summarize, they, they, can, they can add to uh, the conversation a little bit, uh, can lengthen the conversation out. But I did put one slide in. And it's your one uh -huh. slide here. All right, let me focus on this one. Yeah, because I found this particularly interesting and, and thinking about, uh, you know, a long-term goal setting, a goal setting and long-term incentive plans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this notion around, you know, it, it's early days right now. But obviously the conversation is percolating around mm -hmm. what adjustments may be taking place. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have any comments uh, on, on this particular one. Uh, and it yeah, is, I, as you said, it's a live survey right now. It's a live survey, it will change. And one of the ones we focused on was even that small 2% you see in the middle of the screen. You know, yes, we have set goals, but we agree to consider excluding the impact of the coronavirus when we value performance. One of the things we wondered is, how are you isolating that performance? How are you isolating it over a time period? You know, what, what will be excluded? But in terms of the other, the other comments, you know, people don't plan on making changes yet, but they're going to discuss it. And people are already revisiting goals. People are temporarily delaying goal setting, which is interesting. If that's not a calendar, your company, perhaps it's possible. But if you're a December 31st fiscal year end, you've already set your targets and set your goals. So yeah, this is one of the slides we found of interest. And I'm glad you put it up because I didn't think I'd have time to address this, right? But you're seeing, so again, a lot of these decisions, I think they're going to be delayed until Q2. We have our, our partners in the US who did a, a similar survey at Perlmeyer. And a lot of the answers came back almost 80 to 90%. We don't know yet. We're seeing a bit different story in Canada where people are starting to get to the point of 50-50 saying we don't know yet, or others are saying, yeah, we're getting a handle on it. So absolutely, thanks for putting that up. Appreciate it. No problem, Chris. Um, okay. Well, maybe if we could, uh, Rachel, building on what Chris has said, can you reflect on the same question, but when it comes to the board's oversight in performance management, especially the performance of its CEO? And that was an excellent article, the Watson article that, uh, that, we, that you shared earlier in the week. So please, Rachel. 
I'm glad. And, you know, it's interesting hearing Chris's comments because I think these are two sides of the same coin. We have clients wondering, you know, our CEOs being a superhero, why do we need to evaluate performance? Or we know we're already know we're not going to pay bonuses this year. What value would the process bring us? Um, even some organizations saying what we've realized is we need a change at the top. So what's the point in evaluating performance this year? And I think fundamentally, I would say it's going to look different, but it's got to be done. This is an unprecedented learning experience. It's a chance to reflect on what went well and also tough things like, do you have the skills you need at the level of the board, at the level of the executive and CEO? Um, are there policies or practices that need to change? And all of those things are going to come out of a, an intentional learning process. One of the things you asked about, Michael, was the kind of what are the best practices? And I would always highlight, you know, organizations that are doing this well on a typical year have already established that success is, uh, yes, strategic objectives, priorities, measurable goals, financial goals, absolutely, but two other components as well, whether the leader fundamentally delivers on the ongoing accountabilities of the role and whether the leader shows up as you need them to in terms of their behaviors and in terms of their values. Um, you know, that's the fundamental of the best practice. And what I would say is right now, what we're seeing is the nuances and a lot of those nuances are coming through in those second and, and third parts. Um, a good strategy always anticipates that there'll be some unexpected challenges. And generally in a normal year, you'd hear people like Chris and I saying, you don't move the goalposts when a challenge comes up because uh, that's part of what happens in business. And this is truly an unprecedented year. I, I can't remember ever uh, saying to people, well, you probably have to look at whether those goals and measures continue mm -hmm. to be realistic and think about adapting during the year. Um, First time I've probably said that, but the reality is if your business has been completely disrupted by external forces, measuring against the original plans won't feel right. And most boards will have to exercise some real discretion here, which is not just discretion in the amounts, but discretion in, you know, do we delay the process? Do we wait for more information? Um, do we live with some uncertainty instead of replanning and resetting goals right now? And when the time comes, I think a thoughtful CEO evaluation needs to be seen as feeding into more than pay. It needs to be about learning. I would say the same thing for a board evaluation or an executive evaluation. This is about how did we face this period of crisis and uncertainty? Um, how did we do against our original goals? Because we've got to close the loop on that. Um, we can't just put them aside. Let's talk about them if they were important. How did we land and where are we going to go from here? Uh, how did we handle what arose for us this year? Were we ready? Uh, as leaders, but also were we ready in terms of, you know, our risk uh, models, our, um, you know, our crisis plans, our ability to respond quickly, our ability to, as a group, uh, both the executive and, and the board, make effective decisions under, under pressure and taking away from that, what practices do we need to strengthen and possibly some tough decisions. So I've been, um, you know, a little bit bold, I think, sometimes saying to clients, uh, this may be the year where you need to make some courageous change. Because of everything that's gone on, you actually have a burning platform and you have a certain degree of permission to do things that may have been tough before. And I think as you reflect on your own performance as a board, as an organization, as an executive team, it may be time to say, uh, does your CEO have what it takes to lead? Do they have the energy for another round of this? Because it seems to be a not if, but when kind of situation. 
Uh, what about the top team? What about the board? Do you have, are all, is everyone on your board pulling their weight and ready to respond next time this happens? Do you have great emergency succession plans, uh, contagious disease policy, uh, all of those kinds of pieces in place, but you know, is now the time to maybe upgrade some talent? Uh, it's something to think about because if this has been a tough year, next year is gonna be another tough year uh, and you've got probably a small window let's say June to September uh, to take action before you really get ready to go into the trenches on this one again. Um, I also think, I just wanna say that I, I think for the executives who have performed, you're gonna to want to double down on some recognition and some retention for them. And that may not necessarily be short-term financial, it may be something more long-term, but uh, if you've got some people who've really succeeded through this time, they're gonna be uh, attractive prospects on the market and they may also be a little tired and burned out and ready for something new as well. So being thoughtful about that flip side and ready to make some strong talent decisions, I think is key this year. Rachel, can I just build, uh, I'm gonna weave a connection to some of the previous sessions we've done the last nine in three weeks and for both of you. And, and so one is um, we hear this word uh, agile, which was a buzzword and now it's a cliche. As everybody says, we need to be agile, we need to be agile, but agile really at its core means you've got to really rethink your business model, rethink the way you're doing things. Uh, if you're going to do, come out with a different result. Um, on that, you say, uh, taking now is the time to, you know, where change is possible when you have major change and upheaval. Have you seen case examples of executives of CEOs that have taken some courageous steps in terms of uh, uh, around the business that you might be able to share? I'm seeing some that are coming now. I likely shouldn't say much more about that, but I do know that there are organizations that are saying, okay, if we've got to cut back, for example, if we're cutting back on our staff, then now may be the time to make significant organizational change, including all the way uh, to the top. Um, and I'm also seeing boards being tougher on themselves around the board renewal piece and really pushing to say, look, then maybe now is the time to make some change on the board to get them ready. Um, I think that from the perspective of agility, I, I would put a couple of tests, you know, in, in the minds of a board or in the minds of an executive, which would be how quick were we to make decisions and how able were we to make decisions that kept us flexible. So positioning ourselves to be able to move forward and yet remain adaptable to move forward. And when I think about the responses to Chris's survey, when I see in the question that you shared, but in some of the other questions, boards saying, well, not yet, but we're gonna talk about it at our next meeting. I think if, if that was, if I was on one of those boards, I would say, we're probably not agile. We might not necessarily made a decision yet, but to see a board still saying, oh yeah, we probably should do something about goals. Uh, maybe next meeting uh, would be a sign for me that they're maybe, you know, not, not moving fast enough to really be in this moment with the organization. And maybe Chris, a, a question that came from our conversation that was our first uh, session on environmental social governance with Judy Cott and Coral Strandberg and a big focus on the S, the social in the environment now from the uh, institutional investors and so on that we need to, you know, we need to maintain a focus on the S and how, what does that mean for, for the compensation space? Mm -hmm. I, I, my, my fear is that, and there was another slide, I believe, that we actually 
tried to figure out where the risk factor was in ESG. And my re recollection is it actually moved down a little bit. My fear mm. is much like previous recessions where, 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 where the, the idea is to have the organization just begin to survive, that we may see a, a backing away from ESG as something which we're, we're expecting to become more embedded within metrics for executives. I mean, I, I could see there being recalcitrance to do that and a backing away just focus on operations and get things done. So that, that, that's my one, that would be my concern about, about those kinds of metrics. You know, I, I hope Rachel, not. Yeah. Yeah. Even I hope so, not. An article from the, the Harvard Law School, their mm -hmm. forum on governance that was talking about immunity to the crisis and some mm -hmm. of the things that helped organizations uh, survive, early data on that. And one of the ones that they cited was um, corporate social responsibility policies, which is kind of, you know, the ESG, CSR yeah. Yeah. related. They were saying that they felt that the, some of that focus on stakeholders more broadly had better prepared organizations. Oh, Okay. Um, so my hope is that it's something that, that will, you know, that the data will continue to bear that out and help make the case for a continued focus I so. there. I Could so. I ask you to, this is really speculation at this point, but if you were going to cast the lens out, say, you know, uh, six months, a year uh, to uh, whatever point we get to some sense of new normal, what do you think are the policies and practice that actually, you know, will take greater hold? when we come out of this on the comp side and on the performance management side. So maybe Rachel first and then Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think we're gonna see a new kind of seasonality to business for a while anyway, right? And that may change some of our cycles around when do we plan, when do we review poor performance? When do we, uh, when do we compensate? As, as Chris described, you know, there's kind of a classic cycle that many organizations are in. And uh, that cycle doesn't work very well if we find ourselves in a repeating pattern of a kind of, you know, March to May uh, slowdown every year. Uh, I think also we're going to be changing what we're focusing on and measuring to some extent, um, it, you know, in terms of behaviors for sure. But when we think about how that feeds into more sort of performance management, I think we're going to be looking for uh, a certain amount of how did you respond to what came up, not just how well did you stick to plan and, and deliver on plan. Uh, we've seen a trend over time towards um, in the design of executive compensation and performance measures, explicitly allowing room for some discretion or reason mm -hmm. judgment in certain mm -hmm. bounds. No question in my mind that that's going to continue. I also think the organizations that are going to see plans that looked good fall apart um, in surprising ways as we de deal with some of this volatility are going to get better at doing a bit more stress testing and modeling and all of that kind of stuff as they sign up with plans. Um, what would you add, Chris? Um, I would add this. So um, if, if we look at the new normal, right? If we make an assumption that we've been lucky for about a century not to have um, a pandemic um, hit world society, and if we believe that there's gonna be other macro factors that eventually impact. So th this may not be the last time in the next little bit that we have something sideswipe the whole economy. Then, then one should think that that should be embedded within how we think through our actual plan design. So, you know, looking back to 08, 09, hate to look back in the path in the rearview mirror. When I think back to what we saw back then, you know, interestingly, we saw a focus on benchmarking back then. And it's almost counterintuitive because you think, why would you benchmark? Performance isn't that good. Um, lots of people out there looking for, you know, good, good employment. You know, why would you need to benchmark? What I recall from that time period is that organizations were trying to get a handle on the size and shape of compensation. So, you know, size being how much, 
And they were focusing back in the day on, you know, what's the affordability of what we're doing versus the market? If we're falling behind, let's know how far behind we are. And in some cases, I recall people weren't making promises, but the executives sort of understood, okay, you know, we're falling behind. When things get better, you will catch us up. And in terms of the, the shape of the package, you know, even if a package is frozen, there is a possibility of playing with some of the levers inside of it, right? So with base, bonus, LTI, even the, uh, the longer term aspects of retirement, you can move things around a bit to make sure that that's in play. Now, going back to what Rachel was mentioning, so back to the concept of, uh, you know, formulas. So if you've got a formulaic um, short-term incentive or long-term incentive plan right now, you've got a high probability you're going to get a zero this year based on the way the numbers are working. So the need for some kind of discretion, some kind of reasonableness in terms of the process, maybe at the back end for the board, to Rachel's point, extremely important. As far as the, um, as the optics of, of, of good results versus bad results, I mean, we've already addressed that in another little bit, but I'll give an example back to stress testing. And this is one I think I've used at the director's college beforehand, where this was the example from 0809, where we had a client who had a, a design where it was year over year growth based on some form of profitability. And there was all, I'll make the numbers up, 50% decline in 2009, a 25% incline in 2010. Result, maximum payouts because of the way the math worked. That wasn't the result everybody wanted or expected. So the board used their discretion to actually moderate things. So those are the kinds of things where, you know, think about what you're doing in the downturn, but on the upturn side, there may be some things that are a little bit um, wonky if you don't look at it. And, Specifically to long-term incentives, I think you may see a, um, I think you may see a change in the, uh, in the type of incentives being provided. You may see more aggressive, if I can use that word, or less aggressive incentives. Some may Chris, go to- sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, it just ties into a question that I got sure, from, go uh, from our colleague, Rob Tanwell. Um, as most corporates are, are, you know, to be blunt, in survival mode, um, why not focus totally on group performance and put aside an individual, uh, put aside more individual goals? Sure. So, just just so just respond to that as a yeah. I don't I I don't have a disagreement with that. If the whole team is pulling in the same direction, you may want to de-emphasize the uh, the individual component at least for a temporary period. Um, maybe emphasize the departmental and I'm thinking about a short-term incentive design and emphasize the enterprise-wide components. So everybody's pulling from the same point. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all, uh, truthfully. And, and even thinking about the way the STI designs work and the LTI designs work, I mean, even on the individualized component, I think you're going to see a change in the way organizations grant as well. So you know the old theory, Michael, that you know, at the bottom of a trough, depending on your cycle, if you give the dollar value of long-term incentives you've normally given, if your share price, your enterprise value is down right now, you're probably going to give a lot more of something now than you would have a year ago. Let's use stop options as an example. So you're at the bottom of a trough potentially. Some organizations may choose not to go that route. I remember back in 0809, some simply said, we're gonna give the same amount we gave beforehand because we don't wanna be perceived as a board, allowing the executives to have a windfall when things come back up again. But an executive would argue, but wait a second, now is the bad time. We're gonna help you pull through this very difficult period. Should I not be getting some kind of incentive now to help me incentivize through the other side of the upturn. So again, I think you're gonna see a lot of decision-making even on the way people are granting and how they're granting, I thought. Well, maybe a question for both of you then, if part of this, in part, now is an opportunity. I'm, I'm endlessly amazed how creative people in organizations are, um, but that creativity is, um, is, is not always baked into the incentives that organizations recognize. 
So maybe just a, a comment on that, Chris. We've talked about that in the past and maybe Rachel as well. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of a couple of things. One is, mm -hmm. you know, what Chris, you've introduced the conversation, Michael, around simple uh, group-based instead of individual-based. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it gets me thinking about the complexity of compensation models. I get nervous sometimes when organizations get creative with their incentives, mm -hmm. because often when they do that, they're introducing such complexity that it becomes difficult to model, difficult to understand. And of course, if we understand it less, we value it less, we get more nervous about it. So uh, it's tougher for the leader. It's also tougher for people on the outside to kind of understand the nature. And I almost suspect that um, what we may see for the short term is a, a more of a simplicity, you know, more shared measures, more simple kind of corporate measures. I can't imagine organizations wanting to not only reset their goals at the top, but reset them all the way down for every employee who's part of some kind of goal setting program. And so I'm wondering if the part of the creativity here is going to be, we're just going to get simple, we're going to get big picture. We're going to assume that people want to do the right things to get us to those end goals. So we're not going to put a box around each of those ones and measure each of those ones. We're going to just keep ourselves pointed at some big, simple things we can all put our arms around. Well, Rachel, and maybe to Chris, one of the questions we've just had coming through is, uh, uh, is it suggested that as part of a plan design review, we should consider various scenario options? So actually moving away, as you said, from simplicity to thinking about what are the various scenarios that we could find ourselves in? So maybe Chris. Mm -hmm. so, so I would say that those scenario options would be part of the actual design process itself, as opposed to the design. I think I'm with, with Rachel. I've always liked simplicity in plan design. That doesn't mean you shouldn't model out at the very beginning of the process what could possibly happen to your design so you don't have these strange untoward results. So I think it's important to do that kind of stress testing and model, but the design itself should try to hew towards simplicity. I mean, one of the things that I, I think you may see more emphasis on as we go forward is the use of relative benchmarking, relative metrics. So, you know, in, in, a, in a rising tide, everyone's doing well, but going down the other direction, you know, how do, do, how do you differentiate the management team as a whole from other management teams in terms of, of pay? So you may see more relative benchmarking. Theoretically, the whole sector is moving the same direction at once. So you may see more of that as well. When I think about your question as to, you know, what you may see in terms of simplification, group measured potentially more relative benchmarking. Now, that relative benchmarking is often tempered with an absolute trigger. So there's got to be some money. There's got to be some profit before you get into the relative side of things. But I think you may see a little more of that as well in the new normal. How do you deal with, I've got a question from Brian Cowan here, which uh, would oh, be Brian, interesting hello. if you respond, yeah. How do you deal with artificial stimulus, revenue from government, subsidies, grants, <laughs> which make the bottom line look better than could other, would otherwise be there? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's gonna take some unpicking in this case. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, the board or the committee dealing with this is somewhat freed from the past, from the goals that you set at the beginning of the year. So now you're looking at a blank slate to say, mm -hmm. holistically, how did we perform? And um, there'd be some of that that you could say, we're not going to take credit for that. Um, but there might be some of it where, depending on what happens for an organization where the board might say, boy, we were able to attract or lobby for some special mm -hmm. stimulus mm -hmm. because of the hard work of our executives. Or, um, you know, we, we handled that strategically with perfect timing, disproportionately well in a deliberate way, not just an accident of timing. And so there's something we want to recognize there. I think it's going to be situation by situation. I'll tell you, as I think about the lobbying the Canadian airline industry is doing right now, 
if they're successful in getting a big bailout package, that's going to be something their boards would want to reward, even mm -hmm. though that's that stimulus money. So if I can add to that, Michael, so, yeah. I mean, I've put forward the concept in some of my teaching sessions about the oxymoron of formalized discretion, where you have a certain percentage you want to swing back and forth in terms of the, um, of the bonus or the, uh, the long-term incentive payment. And, you know, maybe there is a list that can be produced by management where they list out things that went well, things that didn't go so well. And from that perspective, the board can, I wouldn't say pick or choose, but make a decision as to how much discretion to use. And those kinds of factors, such as, you know, isolating, you know, government assistance or help, that can be isolated. And I see that 2% on the screen that you have still up, that's isolating the impact of coronavirus on performance, which I'm wondering how you do, but you should be able to isolate, you know, some assistance or a government, government help. I've got a question from uh, Christine Williams, so uh, another Hollister colleague. Um, with the future changes in business models for companies, do you see any requests from compensation committee to, uh, committees to changing their peer groups? Hmm. Uh, yes. Yes. Partly because, partly because uh, whenever there are different perspectives on what compensation like their requests to relocate a peer group. So 100% mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. certainty. That so mm -hmm. I, I would add, Rachel, that um, in terms of, of those peer groups, I think that, oh, pardon me, are you still going? No, I'm good. Okay, I was gonna say that because peer group selection tends to be a, a question or a factor of who, who's closest to you, or what do you like, who are you competing with? As, as organizations come out of this or move through this in different shape financially, as they change their business models geographically, structurally, et cetera, that's part of the consideration about peer group selection. So if you're, for example, a, a resource company that's only in Canada versus being all over the world, if you peel back and you only have a Canadian operation, you may want to shift your peer group to only organizations that deal with Canada or North America. So I, I think the answer would be yes. You're going to see peer group being reassessed. Another question, um, maybe um, to, to Chris, would a profit share be a consideration? Equal budgeted payout for all staff of all levels? I was just thinking that, as you mentioned, all for one, one for all, which is mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, uh, profit sharing plans, um, I, I'm not a big fan in normal circumstances because I think they're a very blunt instrument. Quote, unquote, you're not able to differentiate performance of an individual. But Michael, to your point, the point that has been raised, if everyone's pulling along at the same pace and it's all for one, one for all, in this kind of situation, I, I, I don't see an issue with a profit sharing plan if the individual focus is not going to be there for a little bit. Honestly, I don't see that as being a, a poor idea now. Maybe one, oh, please, Rachel, go ahead, yeah. There was something in the way you described it, Michael, that made it sound, I think you said equal budgeted amount, and I would probably shy away from that. You know, it might be equal percentage of salary or mm -hmm, equal. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a need for some leveling based on the leverage that people have on the success of the organization. Agreed. Uh, maybe I'll come back to you, Rachel, with uh, back to our previous comment. In addition to peer groups, are organizations adjusting or visit, revisiting their desired, mar desired marketing positioning? Target P50, P75, thoughts? Oh, possibly. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's tough. Uh, I think that the it, organizations are going to have to kind of step back and wrestle with philosophically yeah. what do we want rewards to do for us and who are we in this market and who do we compete against. And I could see that some of them would say, you know, as I say, they, if they're taking aggressive action, if they say, look, we use this opportunity to upgrade our talent and we're mm -hmm. now going after top talent we know is available in the market, we're actually going to feel like we need to be a little more aggressive in our position. And mm -hmm. others might say, we simply can't afford to right now. 
and now is the time when we're not going to seek to lead the market. We're going to allow ourselves to kind of maybe drift a little further behind. And I think it's a, I think it's a bigger question. And I feel like the market target position piece um, is going to be complicated by the fact that the market data we had last year is no longer really valid. So market position against yeah. what? Yeah. Against what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rachel, perfect segue. A year of doing what's right for you more than looking at data. If I can make a comment on what Rachel's saying. So I recall back in 08, 09 and 10 as well um, that there was a lot of um, need for benchmarking. One of the issues that may come about with benchmarking this year is that the data is being submitted to all of the data houses, including ours. It's going to be data based on a, on, a, on a solid set of objectives for January and February. So in and of itself, the data may not be as accurate by the time we get around to making decisions in the fall. So I would expect that organizations that really do want to know exactly what's going on on the ground now may do a lot of custom surveying. They may actually go out and just have conversations through third parties like CGP or whoever else to say, hey, what are, what are our peers doing? Because we need to get this information current now because the world has changed in the seven or eight months since we actually set our compensation program, submitted our data. That's what I recall from, from the 0809 period. A lot more custom serving, at least for a little bit, until the, uh, until the databases catch up. And I suspect that what they'll be hungry for is that kind of what are the practices almost exactly. more than the amounts. Exactly. It's gonna be who else has frozen salaries? Mm -hmm. you know, who else has taken a pay cut versus it being, uh, I need to know, you know what a software engineer six is being paid this year. Exactly. Agreed. Uh, one more question, then I'm going to ask for a little bit of uh, an equally complex, simple but complex uh, summation. So the other question, it goes back to the ESG uh, question that we talked about and also uh, government supports. So um, a comment from uh, Marlos Butcher, I'm worried that uh, the government uh, uh, bailout monies will be transferred, rewarded to senior management at the cost of the company employees society. I think uh, lots of other examples out there in the past. So any, just any comments on that complicated question like that? Mm -hmm. In terms of the, uh, the way it's been handled in the United States, I know that if you accept certain types of government money in the United States, back to the old TARP, and now with what I understand to be the programs down in the US, you literally cannot use that money to help with executive compensation. There's actually legislative bars to that, so you can't do it. Uh, I don't believe I've seen anything in the Canadian legislation and the Canadian packages, which prevent you from using it from an exec compensation perspective. So again, I, I'd, be, I'd be just as concerned as you because the optics on that would be horrible. If money's coming in to prop up bonuses for executives when numbers are going down and they're falling, that would be that would be a difficult scenario. And then maybe one one last question, uh, since it uh, it uh, relates uh, to my my board uh, director community here, and well, in particular, so board CEO execs, uh, do you have any insights as to whether boards themselves are considering freezes changes to their own remuneration? We have a slide on that. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to pull that up and address. The answer is in many cases, I think the preliminary data is not yet, um, but some are thinking about it. We actually surveyed that question. Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah, we were definitely getting questions about it. I haven't yet seen a lot of clients who would say that they've acted on it, but we're getting questions, especially for the organizations you were saying, we're asking everyone to make some sacrifices. Um, boards are asking, how do we lead from the top on that? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe uh, Chris and Rachel, uh, just as I do this in Directors College, uh, Chris, I kind of end by asking my, my colleagues to uh, try to wrap up with two or three things 
that they'd like uh, our attendees to take away. And those things are not academic frameworks or models, but two or three, three things that they can actually bring back to their respective boards or companies. So with that, maybe um, if uh, Chris, I could ask, and then Rachel to follow your two or three takeaways. Perfect. So in terms of my takeaways, uh, 2020 was a side swipe and that compensation discussions that were made in Q1 will likely have to be revisited uh, by your boards and by management, as I think that the, the issue of compensation and executive compensation will come back to the forefront as we get through Q2. I think the focus should remain on holistic compensation review and design, not to actually pull out one piece of compensation and treat that in isolation. I think benchmarking will be needed uh, come the fall and come the summer, but I think a lot of the data will have to be supplemented with anecdotal information but also custom surveys if you want to be specific about what's going on in your peer group. Incentive designs, I think strict formulas are going to be in a lot of pressure by management and by boards because the resulting zero or low payouts may not be what's necessary to motivate or, or incentivize the team to go forward. And in terms of the, um, the greater practices of long-term incentives, again, I think you're going to see some change in practices for the way things are granted, the amount of grant of LTIs, and I think you might see some pressure to have relative metrics as the numbers don't improve, but the actual performance is still going on within organizations where management may be working doubly or triply as hard just to maintain the status quo. So those are my takeaways. Thank you, Chris. Rachel. Uh, I would say this is not the year to skip your feedback processes, whether it's for CEO, executives, or board. You absolutely have to modify them. You might lighten them significantly, but feedback is essential. You've just gone through some powerful learning some powerful evidence and uh, you may have tough decisions ahead. So you're gonna want to spend time understanding what you saw and understanding what can get better. Um, I would say don't waste a good crisis. So think <laughs> about whether you need to upgrade executive talent, whether you need to go after some great people, uh, what kind of change you need to mobilize for and use this burning platform, use the permission you have right now to make difficult change um, and along with that, double down on the people you need to retain, recognize them, retain them, recharge them, because uh, you're going to need them next year. And then just linking that back to Chris's discussion around compensation, um, it, thinking about it from all of the lenses. Um, what's the right thing for the talent and the executives? What's the right thing financially? What would shareholders say? What would stakeholders say? What would employees think? So really taking a thoughtful, you know, multi-lensed walk around as you make those executive compensation decisions is going to be more important than ever this year. Thank you both. Chris and Rachel have generously agreed to join us till about quarter after five for some more discussion. So take a minute, stretch, I'll do the same and then we'll reconvene, okay? And if you can't, all the best and hope to see you again at the next webinar. Thank you. <laughs>